Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be with you all and to see you all. For those who don't know me, my name is Louis Skippers, and I am the senior pastor here at Grace Church. And I'm excited to continue the second part of our series called Rest today. Now, before we get started, I first need your help um, with something. So I'm going to ask a question, and then you all are going to shout out the first response that you think is appropriate. Okay, you ready? Whoever doesn't do this, I'm keeping my eye on you. I can see everyone from here. Okay, if I ask this question, what will your response be? How are you? And you say? Isn't it interesting how we always say that? What do you think is the second most common response? How are you? Okay, I must judge that one. Okay, try the third one. What's the third one? How are you? Man, you guys are full of good things this morning. What about busy? How often have you used that one? Everyone goes like, oh, yes, I actually use that one the most. I just forgot about it, right? Because I'm so busy. It is interesting that it has, we are so busy, we're so hurried all the time that one of the most common ways we greet is either a response out of courtesy. We even say good when things are not good, right? And the other way is we acknowledge how busy and how hurried we are, how unrested, how stressed out we are. And this is very interesting. Sometimes we, we are hurried because we are just a victim to what is going on in the world around us. We are victims of the responsibilities to the modern world. But the reality is that most of us are not simply passengers on this journey of life. We actually have a bit of control over it. So most of us aren't simply victims to the responsibilities of modern life, but we make choices because of certain things about how busy we're going to be. The writer Steve, Stephen um, Covey, he wrote two books, and I know I said his last name wrong, I can't remember how I said it, but anyway, The Seven Habits of Effective Leaders and First Things First, two books that, that's pretty famous. And he wrote and he said, people expect us to be busy and overworked. It's like the world we're living in, this is the norm. It's not just that we're okay with it, but we expect each other to be really busy. He says, it has become a status symbol in our society. And here's the problem. If it's a status symbol, it is something that I have to live up to. So the problem with busyness is that I think most people, and last week we spoke about it, how um, some of the wrong reasons why we are sometimes busy, but I think one of that is that we feel we live, have to live up to a status. So if I'm busy, I feel like I'm valued. If I'm busy, I feel like I'm worth something. We have confused this idea where we think I am what I'm doing. So if I'm not doing something, if I'm not busy all the time, then maybe I don't have the value I thought I have. Or maybe people would look at me and think I don't have value. John Comer, in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, wrote, and he said there's mostly two reasons why people find it hard to rest, to not be so busy all the time. He said, one, you're either running away from something, or two, you're running to something. And this all has to do with value. So he said we're running away from things like father wounds, trauma, insecurity, self-worth deficit, fear of failure, inability to accept limitations, boredom. 
So sometimes we're just busy because what if people see that I'm not that good or what if people see that I can actually fail or what if people see I don't have the value I thought I had or we're running to something, promotions, purchases or experiences for a next high. We are running to things, but even those things are often rooted in our self-worth. I want more so that I can live up to the standard of other people. Or I want more so that I don't, when I compare myself to the neighbors, to the Joneses, I don't look bad. Because I've even struggled with this in my own life. I grew up as a pastor's kid. My mom's side, all of my ancestors were pastors. Do you know how many times I've heard people say pastors work one day a week? I grew up with that. And it is so common that for a very long time, I really struggled with this. If you ask me if you could see me next week or something and I couldn't see you, I won't go like, hey, sorry, the first appointment I have available is in two weeks. I would go like, I'm sorry, next week I can't see you because I'm seeing five people and then I'm doing this and Friday I'm writing a sermon and Saturday I have this. And then I felt like I had to explain everything because what if people thought I was actually doing nothing? Will it affect my self-worth? So for a long time I struggled with this. And here's the problem. The result of this status thing where I, I feel like I have to live up to this, some, this thing in the community that people keep me accountable for, where I feel like I don't have value if I'm not doing something. The result of this is exhaustion and burnout and being stressed out. Okay, now I have to ask you to participate for a second thing. And I've tested a couple of people of this. I'm a little confused about Canadian um, culture and knowledge of their ancestors. But anyway, who has heard this saying, all work and no play? Okay, most of you. Who have heard this? All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Okay, it's mostly old people and immigrants. By the way, it comes from the UK. It's not a South African thing, just in case you were wondering. Okay, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. This was already, it was written by a Welshman in 16, I think, 54, something like that. So even back then, they knew if I'm always working, if I'm always hurried, if I'm always, always in a rush, what is the result of that dullness? And I love the fact that he said it makes Jack a dull boy. Because dull, I think just expresses what a lot of us feel every single day. Dull means that we feel cynical all the time. Dull means that I'm negative about everything. Dull means that I feel trapped in this life. Dull means that I feel defeated or that I feel like something inside of me has died. Dull means that I don't experience, I feel like I'm not experiencing joy or love or down moments. I'm just always flatlined in my emotions. There must be a better way. But we're not always striving to feel like I have value and therefore I keep busy. Where I'm not working myself to the point where I'm a dull boy. And I believe there is. And that's why we started this series on rest. And this series is not about sleeping this series is not going about going on a vacation where you come back from and you're tired anyway because you were constantly busy. This series is about resting God's way, finding refreshment God's way. And last week we started talking about it. What is God's way? That very design that God built into this world. 
We read in Genesis that God created for six days and he rested the seventh day and then told all of us that we should do the same. God could have stopped at six days. He could have said, listen, this is the pattern for humanity. You work six days and then you start again. You work six days and then you just continue going. But he said, no, I want you to work and I then want you to find rest in me and with me. And last week we said, God took this so seriously that he put it on the same level in the Ten Commandments as not to murder and not to steal, not to cheat on your spouse. He put it on that same level because God knew something we don't. In a society where we don't rest one day out of seven, things will start to crumble and fall. And we are, I think, the generations who so perfectly lives that out. Things are crumbling. People are on medication and stuff because we're constantly exhausted. So last week we spoke about this rule of God and we said, let's live it out. But today for the second part of this series, the topic is the benefits of rest. And why do I want to talk about this? Because let's be honest, we are human beings and we never do anything if there's not something in it for us, right? We want to convince ourselves that we are pretty good at just doing stuff for the sake of it. But we do stuff because somehow we feel we'll benefit from it. And I can try to convince you to rest because God told you to rest, because God designed you to rest one day out of seven. But the reality is most of us are going to continue struggling with this. And some of you might even say, like, I'm not a Christian yet. Why should I rest one day out of seven? Some of you might go like, I am a Christian, but I have more energy. I don't need to do that. So what I want to do today is I want to show you Two benefits to rest that you probably didn't know even existed, but hopefully will convince you that resting God's way is worth it. And we're going to read from two um, places in two chapters in the Bible today, and we're going to link them up at the end. And that is Matthew 11 and Matthew 12. So in Matthew 11 and Matthew 12, we see Jesus kind of, I want to say, on the Sabbath journey. He talks about rest in Matthew 11 and then Matthew 12. Basically, the whole chapter is about him doing all kinds of stuff on the Sabbath day. And the religious leaders who thought it's all about keeping rules, they are judging him for it. Okay, so let's start with Matthew 11. First book in the New Testament, Matthew 11 from verse 28. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Then Jesus said, Hear this invite. Come to me, all of you, every single one of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Doesn't that sound amazing? This invitation where Jesus says, you don't have to be exhausted all the time. You don't have to be burned out. You don't have to be stressed out. You don't have to always be in a hurry. But I think sadly, when we read those words, most of us probably feel the opposite. We go like, Jesus, but I come to church and I read my Bible and I try to find rest in you, but I'm so tired still. I'm so exhausted. I still have no rest. 
What is going wrong? And I think the problem is that we have these burdens of long working hours upon us, whether that is the work you do as an occupation or just stuff around home where we never stop. But then on top of the things we do, all the work we do, we have hundreds of things pulling us in thousand directions, and its pinnacle probably came in the form of a cell phone, right? Where we don't have a single moment of quietness, of boredom, of rest anymore. Because if you stand in the line for five seconds, or you're in an elevator with a stranger for two, the first thing we do is we take out the phone and we fill our time again. And we started to assume at some point that this pace of life is the normal pace of life. And I want to say when COVID hit and a lot of us were working from home and things started to slow down, I heard so many people say, oh, this is what it should be like. And this is how we should continue living, like a slower pace of life. And then when things went away, like within a year, we were all back to doing the same thing, being just as exhausted as before, right? Nothing changes. And I think the problem why we have such a hard time stopping and finding rest in Jesus is because not only do we find our value in what we do, but we found our value in it so long that it became a habit. Something that we just continue to do without even thinking why we're doing it. And if you do a habit long enough, I think it became an addiction which means I cannot survive without it anymore. We cannot survive a moment of boredom. Think about children. We cannot allow them to be bored. We just keep giving them stuff so that they we're never bored. And although the world frowns on most addictions, this is the one addiction that everyone says, keep going, right? Keep filling your time. But my question to you is, what is all of this distraction, all of this addiction, all of this, this fast pace of life, this restlessness, what is it doing to our souls? And I don't think it's anything good. Jesus says, I want to give you something good. I want to give you real rest that leads to refreshment. Throughout the New Testament, we read that Jesus says, I want to fill you with love. I want to fill you with joy. I don't want your emotions to be flatlined. I want to fill you with peace. I want to give you hope. That's who Jesus is and what he wants to give us. But here's the problem. How, if you ask me, Louis, why can't I find this rest that Jesus is promising? How are we supposed to find rest in him if we're always so hurried that we keep running past him? Can I say that again? How are we supposed to find rest in Jesus if we're so hurried that we always run past Him? He didn't say, I'm going to force this on you, or I'm going to sprinkle it over you. He said, come to me, and then I will give you rest. So what does it look like, this rest that Jesus is talking about? And we're going to continue reading from Matthew 12 now. So we skip a chapter, we go to the next chapter. There's all kinds of stuff going on um, on the Sabbath day. And then we read this. Going on from that place, Jesus went into the synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Something was wrong with his hand. We don't know what, but it didn't function. 
And looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they, this is the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they asked Jesus, is it lawful to heal on a Sabbath? So they wanted Jesus. If he said yes, they were like, we've got you. Because our laws say you are not allowed to work on a Sabbath. So if you want to heal someone, that's work, you're done, we can arrest you. So they wanted to trick Jesus. But then Jesus said this in verse 11. If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, Will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and they plotted how they might kill Jesus. It's interesting to me how we have these two groups of people. One group that thought they would find rest and refreshment in God by keeping a whole bunch of rules. It's like, we're going to be so busy with rules that we're going to find rest in it. It's like, guys, you're just working on all your rules. And then we see on the other hand, this man with a shriveled hand, and we find Jesus and his disciples, and we see people who's actually finding rest and refreshment in God. And I want to show you now the two benefits that I think you will find if you are willing to say I'm in for resting God's way. And the first benefit I think we find when we rest God's way is when we rest, we find God's supernatural provision. When we rest, we find not just sleep, We don't just find feeling a little better and less hurried. We find something incredible. We find the best of what God has for us. His supernatural provision. Why do I say this? We find a man here in Matthew 12 who's not working. He's not trying to do something because maybe his work was slower than everyone else's because he had one shriveled hand. So maybe he had to work double as hard as everyone else to provide for his family. But on that Sabbath day, he's not working. He's in the synagogue. He's in the place that we call a church service today to worship God. And he finds himself in the presence of Jesus. He literally finds himself in that invitation of Matthew 11, where Jesus, just before it said, come to me and I'll give you rest. And in the place of rest, he doesn't just find rest, but he finds God's supernatural provision in the healing of his shriveled hand. You might be like, Louis, God healed like any day of the week, Jesus. Yes, but there is a pattern in the Bible about God's supernatural provision during the Sabbath, during the off day. Israelites, God's people, 400 years, they are slaves of Egypt. That was their identity. Probably worked seven days a week. Finally, they are free, and Moses leads them into the desert. And guess what? There's no food in the desert. So they start complaining. And God is like, I've got you. I'll provide for you. I'll send you manna from heaven. We don't know exactly what manna is. The Bible describes it a little bit. kind of looked like bread. It had the taste of honey. They would find it outside when they woke up. And they would pick it up and they would eat it. And it was good. And God said, do not pick up more manna than you need to eat today. So some people went like, I don't trust this. 
Yeah, let's rather just keep some as backup. Um, maybe God gives tomorrow, but if he doesn't, I'm ready. I picked up a double portion. Next morning, they open the double portion. Guess what? The Bible says it's rotten and full of worms. Man allows one day. You can eat today. That's it. So now Sabbath day is coming. It's okay, God, what are we going to do? Are we going to fast on the Sabbath day and eat nothing? Because we can't keep food over. He's like, oh, no. On the seventh day, seventh day, on the Sabbath day, you will have my supernatural provision. So pick up a double portion, and on the Sabbath day, it will be fine. So can you imagine how they open it on the Sabbath day? Like, oh, what if there's worms in it and it stinks again? And the opening is perfectly good. God's supernatural provision on the day of rest. Here's the point. I said last week, it takes faith to rest. Because you have to trust God. And you can choose to trust in God or you can choose to trust in yourself, but it doesn't go both ways. And as long as you choose to put your confidence in your own abilities, in your own skills to provide, to keep your family safe, to do whatever you think you need to do, as long as you choose to put your confidence in yourself, you will not find rest. You will not be able to enter God's rest because it takes faith to find rest. Because true rest is not as we said about sleeping, but true rest is about relaxing with confidence and with trust in God's goodness and His provision. I think sleep models the posture that we should have actually quite well. Do you know when the Jewish Sabbath started? It didn't start Saturday morning. It started Friday at sunset. So Friday evening, the family would gather together. They would cook a meal. They would eat a meal so they nourish their bodies. Then they would sit and they would share the stories of how God has provided to them in the past. So they go like, as we go into the Sabbath rest, remember the God who led us out of Egypt, who opened the Red Sea when Pharaoh was after us, who provided manna when we didn't have food. Remember him. So they nourished their souls. And then they went to sleep. So it's interesting, Sabbath didn't start when they woke up. It started before they went to bed. And when you go back to Genesis 1, where God created everything, and we spoke about God's design last week of rest as well, it's interesting that God didn't design days the way we view it, as morning, and then it ends tonight and starts again in the morning. He designed it from sunset to sunrise. It says in Genesis 1 that He created darkness and He created light. And then it says it was evening and it was morning it was the first day the first day didn't start with sunrise the first day started with sunset and i think there's a reason god did it this way and i think there's a reason why the sabbath went that way because here's the thing about sleep when you are asleep you are vulnerable especially if you're in a deep sleep Someone can come into your house and do something about it, and you'll wake up too late. You won't even know about it. When you are asleep, you can't tell your body to breathe and to do stuff. You just have to rely that the systems that God gave you is going to work. When you're asleep, you have to rely on God 
to provide for your family. You have to rely on God to protect your family because you can't do it yourself when you're asleep. And I think it positions us so beautifully for the Sabbath when we start by sleeping and we have that attitude of saying, God, as I go to rest, I surrender to you to provide for me, to take care of me, to protect me. And then when you wake up, to continue with that attitude throughout the rest of the day. That posture of dependence. But sadly, our independence, our pride prevents that. Because we all know how the saying goes, right? If you want it done right, do it yourself. So we struggle to surrender control. We struggle to trust God with it completely. Guys, I don't know. Maybe you feel like you don't struggle. I struggled with that for a long time. There's a lot of pastors I know, and I was one of them, where I preached about 50 times a year. And it's an incredible amount of work. Every single sermon you, you preach. It takes an incredible amount of deep work and research to get to that. But I knew the stats and I saw it. Like when the senior pastor is away, often the attendance goes down. When I'm preaching, like there's more people there. So for a long time, I believe, unless I'm here on a Sunday preaching, the church will not survive. So I just did it every Sunday and almost never took off. Maybe you are one of those as well who believe if you don't provide for your family, they won't be taken care of. If you don't post to social media, what good content will people have to read tonight at 2 o'clock? So we just keep doing it ourselves. But the Sabbath, I think, is a simple way. Sabbath rest, taking that one day out of seven, is a simple way to reverse our independence and put our dependence back with God. It's a principle similar to what we talk about when we talk about tithing. When we give 10% of our income to God and we trust Him with it. We're saying, God, I'm trusting, I'm putting you first with my finance. And I'm trusting that you will help me to live on the 90% the same as I would have lived if I have everything. Sleep, rest, Sabbath rest is the same thing where we say, God, I am putting you first with my time. Because it's the start of my week. I'm putting you first with my time. And I'm going to trust you. As I put you first to provide for me, not just during this day of rest, but also for the next six days. Don't expect God. Don't expect God to provide for you supernaturally if you can't stop to find His provision in Him. Again, Jesus made an invitation. If you come to me, you'll find supernatural rest. Taking a day of rest means that we trust God to provide for us. And to help us fulfill our responsibilities in the following six days. To take a day of rest does not mean you're failing as a provider. It does not mean that you're less significant. It does not mean that you have less value. In fact, the opposite is true. When you take a day of rest, you're learning that rest can help you to fulfill your responsibilities with God's help. And you don't have to do it on your own. And I don't just want to say this. I want to give you a couple of examples of where this has happened throughout history. 
In World War II, we have a whole bunch of these examples. Because World War II was so crazy that a lot of people for the first time had to make a decision where they normally just honored the Lord's Day, as people called it. They, for the first time, had to make a decision. Are we going to do it or not? And you can go and look up Willis Jeeps. They were one of the guys who said, we'll work 24 hours a day, but we're resting one day a week. And we still have the Jeep today because of those designs. They were known for how well they would run. It was one of the few companies that said, we're going to put a cap on six days. We're not touching our rest day. But there is another one that is incredible to me, and that is Correct Craft. It is still today a company that owns most of the, a lot of the boating companies in North America. And Correct Craft was approached to build boats to cross the Rhine River to continue pushing the Nazis back after D-Day. Three companies were approached to build these incredibly fast boats, I think that could transport eight people at a time. Correct Craft only produced one to two boats a week. It was a small family business. They were passionate Christians. And they asked them to produce 300 boats in 20 days. That it one to two a week. So they had 20 days and this family says, we'll go and pray about it. They feel God convinced them they should do it. Okay, they say, we're going ahead with it. By the time they've got their stuff ready, there's only 15 days left for 300 boats. They did one to two a week. So the government sends them advisors to help them to figure out how to scale this little operation of theirs so that they could get stuff going. First thing they say, work seven days a week. We'll get more stuff done. Family says, we'll have to pray about this again. They get back. They say, no, we're going to keep the Lord's day. We're going to rest on the seventh day. We're going to rest on the Sunday. So they rested. They worked six days a week. The other company, two companies didn't do it. And they finished the 300 boats ahead of time. But a problem arose. The two other companies that decided to go seven days a week, they didn't get, meet their quotas. And not only did they not meet their quotas, but their boats weren't of the right standard. When it got to the actual Rhine River, they couldn't fit the big motors on the boats, so they couldn't use them. So they asked this company if they could produce another 100. So they ended up building 400 boats and they were still finished ahead of time. But like, Lou, that was long ago. Things have changed today. There's a fast food chain that we now have a couple of in, in Canada called Chick-fil-A. 1964, the owner said, I'm going to honor the Sabbath day. And I'm going to keep one day holy and I'm going to set it apart. And Chick-fil-A, I can remember, we were in New York um, when the first said they're coming to New York. And we know a bunch of church planters and people there. And everyone said, oh, Chick-fil-A will never work in New York. New Yorkers like, like little artisanal shops and stuff. They don't like the big fast food things. And we were in New York again when the first Chick-fil-A opened. And we've only had it once in South Carolina. We're like, we want to go to Chick-fil-A. We ended up not even going because the lines stood for blocks to get into Chick-fil-A. Like, I thought New Yorkers won't do this thing. Chick-fil-A today are still breaking records for fast food companies, although Sunday, the day they closed, is one of the most common days for eating out. 
that have a bigger profit than companies with double the amount of stores that runs seven days a week. Guys, I'm just telling you this because I don't want you to just think this is me saying it. I do believe that when we honor God's principles, God honors us. They decided, all of these companies, the Israelites when they were in the desert, this man with the shriveled hand decided to find rest in God. And God provided for them in a supernatural way, not just on the Sabbath, but also for the six days that followed that. When you rest, you will discover God's supernatural provision. But when we don't rest God's way, we keep running past Him and we'll never discover it because we will never enter that place of rest that Jesus promised to us. Let me give you the second one. The second reason, the second benefit to rest is I believe when you rest, you'll find strength in yourself that you didn't know was there, but that God created in you in the first place. God brings out the best part of who I am when I'm resting. Jesus said in Matthew 11, right? I will give you a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light. Not even the strongest ox can function properly if it has a heavy yoke on it. For those of you who don't know what a yoke is, it was a piece of wood that they would put over the ox so that they could pull the plow. If that thing is heavy, if that thing is uncomfortable, the ox will fall. It will not be able to do its work. And the same thing goes for every single person on earth. When there is a heavy burden on us, when there's a difficult yoke, we cannot do what we were called to do. We cannot live up to our potential. And I believe restlessness, hurriedness, robs us of the true value that God built into us. Not what we think we have. And this was the Pharisees' problem. They could never live up to the standard God planned for them because they were so obsessed with working on all the rules they created that they couldn't find rest in God and be everything that God made them to be. If you don't get what I'm saying, here, here's an example. <clears throat> I, I'm a pretty creative person. I've, I've done art most of my life. I've written music. Um, I'm a pretty decent strategist and vision person. I, I love to dream and be creative. But it's interesting to me how it often declines as you get older. And as we have little children, I did a lot of research on it. And what they say is, it's interesting, if you expose a child to screen time before they're 18 months old, they found that it actually slows down the development of their brain. You know why? They don't even say this. I just think that because they don't need to use their brains because they see everything on the screen. But what we do know is this. We do know that creativity is born out of boredom. Creativity, which is in every single one of us. How do I know that? Because the Bible says we were created in the image of God, a God that is incredibly creative. Go and look at your eye in the mirror and you will find just a small bit of his crea creativity and his beauty and splendor. We were made in that image. But creativity comes from a place of boredom. When are you bored? When you actually rest. We're never bored, are we? We just keep doing stuff on vacations. When we're supposed to rest, we're always on a phone. Our kids aren't bored anymore because the moment that they say, hey, I'm bored, we put something in their hands and we're like, here, don't be bored. And this beautiful thing that God planted into us, we're missing it. 
Maybe your business is not growing. Maybe you're struggling to figure out how to work on your marriage or how to raise your children or how to live the life that God's called you to live because you aren't resting. And because you aren't resting, this beautiful ability of being creative and figuring things out has gone missing. In Psalm 92, it's this beautiful psalm about the Sabbath. The psalmist writes about it in verse 10. And hear what he says in verse 10. He he just talks about the Sabbath and how good and beautiful it is. And in verse 10, he says, You have made me as strong as a wild ox. You have anointed me with the finest oil. He talks about Sabbath and he's like, God, you made me not an ox under a heavy burden, under a a difficult yoke. You made me like a wild ox, free, strong. And then you anointed me with oil. And we can read over that and just kind of miss what it means. But in the Old Testament, the anointing of someone was always coupled with the Holy Spirit that came over them. Because remember, Old Testament was pre the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So God's Spirit chose where He was present. And the anointing with oil always had something to do with it. And what does this mean? We read about the moment that someone was anointed with oil and the Spirit came over them, that something changed in them. We read in Exodus about the artists that had to craft stuff for the tabernacle. They were pretty good artists. But the Spirit of God came over them and they made the most amazing things. We read about Joshua. A guy was clearly a leader who had faith and trust in God. But when the Spirit of God came over him and he had to lead the Israelites, he was bold. He was leading like no one. We read about Samson. He was a pretty bulky guy probably, but when the Spirit of God came over him, he tore lions apart. We read about David, a young, brave man that was clearly also a leader from day one. But when he was anointed with oil and the Spirit of God came over him, he became the greatest king that Israel ever had. This is what the psalmist is saying. They had these things in them, but when the Spirit of God, when they found God in them, He brought something up out of them that they didn't even know was in them. The psalmist says, this is what I experience when I rest on the Sabbath. When I take that day of rest, I feel your Spirit strengthening me. I feel like this anointing in my life where the best parts of what you've put inside of me comes out and can function at 100%. And that was the invitation of Jesus. I'll remove all of this heaviness. I'll remove all of this difficulty If you just come to me, maybe you think you can attempt this on your own. Maybe you say like, I know I'm an incredible person. I'm super strong or I'm wise or I'm creative or whatever. I can do this on my own. The answer is no, you can't. And Jesus specifically said this in John 16. He said, remain in me because apart from me, you can do nothing. He says, I've placed beauty and strength and skill and leadership and things inside of you. But if you're not in me, whatever you're going to achieve in life, whatever you're going to do will be nothing compared to what I've planned for you. Without Jesus, we'll always remain remain chained to heavy 
yokes. And I believe we'll accomplish more with God in six days than we could in 20 days without God. So when you rest, that's a second benefit. You'll discover the strength that God has already made you to have that you didn't think you had in you. God sharpens us when he removes those burdens and things from us. As Abraham Lincoln said, he said, if you ask me to chop down a tree in six hours, I'll take four to sharpen my axe. That's the Sabbath. God's sharpening us, preparing us for what he's called us to do. If you want to ask me, why should you rest? I'm going to go like, because it's for your benefit. You don't have to do it. We heard last week, you're going to crash and burn against God's laws. But why should you rest? Because you will find God's supernatural provision when you run to Him. Why should you rest? Because God has placed something incredible in all of us. That gets choked out by the burden and the heaviness of hurried life. So rest. Because it's for your benefit. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to confess our struggle with independence and control, the struggle of feeling valued. And I want to say sorry, Jesus, that so often we just keep taking back control and we keep going because we cannot get to a point where we surrender and trust you fully. And I want to pray today, God, for every person here. I want to pray for myself that through our Sabbath rest, through taking this day of rest, that we will learn how to come to Jesus. That we'll learn to find the rest that you promised us in Matthew 11. That we will discover something incredibly amazing about God's supernatural provision. Because we don't serve a God who's dead. We don't serve a God who's our size. We don't serve a God who's ruled by our rules and regulations. We serve a God that's so much bigger. So far above our dreams and our prayers and our imagination. And I pray, God, that as we surrender to you, that we'll see something of your magnificent provision in our lives. But I also want to pray, God, that as we rest, that we'll discover something about ourselves. That we will find out that our value is not determined by what we do, but who we are in you. May we find rest in you. May we experience the life that you promised. That despite craziness going on in our lives and all around us. May we experience rest and refreshment and hope and peace and joy and love. 
in all of it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.